This is LeBeau Students Talk Leadership, After Class Edition. Some of the best discussions with professors happen after class. In this season, we sit down with LeBeau faculty members to learn about their professional development, their time at Drexel, and more. So stick around after class as we learn more about our favorite instructors. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us today. My name is Nakia and I'm a third year majoring in finance and business analytics. I'm here with my co-host, Cal. Hi everyone, my name is Calhan Ganju. I'm a senior at Drexel and I study finance. In today's episode of After Class, we're joined by Professor Michelle Lowry as she talks about her time as a college student, her career in academia, how she de-stresses after class, and her take on fintech, one of the most booming topics out there. Thank you so much for being here today. Happy to be here. So Cal and I were taking this amazing class on FinTech Fin339 with Professor Lowry. And during every class, we're just blown away by how this pace of financial technology functions. And I'm pretty sure I'd be speaking for both of us when I say this is by far our most favorite class. Back me up on that, Cal. Uh, I agree. So a little bit of a promotion here, but for anyone who's fascinated by cryptocurrency or blockchain, this should be your go-to class. Um, And without further ado, let's hit the ground running and talk to Professor Lowry about her time as a student. Yeah, so I would love to know from you, Professor, about your journey from your undergrad uh, to, you know, completing your PhD and just learn a little bit more about you and your background. Absolutely. I'll jump right into things. So I went to college at Duke in North Carolina. So the first thing to note is I graduated in 1992, meaning they won the national championship both my junior and senior year. So it was a fantastic time to be at Duke. It was a lot of fun. Uh, On the academic side of things, I double majored in economics and public policy. Uh, Duke did not have a business school for undergraduate students, so that wasn't an option. Uh, After I graduated from Duke, I went to work in consulting. I did litigation consulting, which I can talk a little bit more about if you want. Uh, That was in Washington, D.C. I did that for a few years, and then I went to grad school and got my PhD in finance. So I'll pause there and I'll let you guys sort of follow up on what of that you think is most interesting. I would love to ask you, where, where, where did you do your, um, for your grad school, where did you go? Uh, right, I went to University of Rochester. Oh, awesome, yep. awesome. So definitely a different, different, completely different environment Completely <laughs> from going to different Duke. vibe. Let me tell you, Duke <laughs> and then Washington, D.C. and then Rochester, New York are three incredibly different places to live. <laughs> and so during your time, um, at, you know, your undergraduation, graduation, your PhD, I'm pretty sure you've had those like super hard classes or the classes that you did not want to be a part of. What were some of those classes and how did you cope with those? Yeah, honestly, I was thinking about that. I think for me, the intro classes were the hardest, you know, the kind of the econ 101 where you're like, what are they talking about? And you don't really know if you're interested in it yet. And they're bigger classes. You're not really connecting with the professor. I think at that point for me was the hardest because I didn't really know what I was interested in yet. Uh, For me, things started to click a lot more when I got to smaller classes and they were more interactive and and you guys see that, right? You sit in my class now, you know, how I teach. Like, you know, I think you just, it has to be an interactive experience to really kind of click with people. 
Um, I think I would definitely agree to that. Your class is by far like one of the most interactive <laughs> classes that I've been a part of. And I think I love that because everyone's talking, everyone's contributing in class, and that keeps the discussion going. Um, but I, I think for me, on the contrary, the intro-level classes for me were fairly easier um, because, you know, I had taken econ in school. I'm like, okay, I've done this in high school so much easier. Um, but, yeah, it, it's super fascinating to know that it was um, the polar opposite. It was you. complete opposite <laughs> for me, yeah. I think for me, getting, I don't know, just kind of really interested and engrossed in a subject is the first big bar. Like, once I'm really interested... I'm all in and then I'm, you know, just get once I'm interested, I want to spend more time and I want to learn about it. But if I can't quite convince myself why something matters or why it's relevant, then it's just harder for me to get excited about spending the necessary time. It's just a personality thing. It, it's it's so interesting because my experience is completely different than both of you all. Because for me, teachers make it or break it, in my mm. experience. I've had very interesting classes that I really, like, was very interested about taking. And then I had professors who just were not, you know, able to teach in a way that I would understand. And it was very challenging. And that's what made it challenging. So I've had subjects where I hated, uh, hated the subject itself. But then I took the class and the teacher made it, like, really amazing. So I think for me, teachers can make a, make a class or also just you know, ruin your experience altogether. You know, I think that's a great point, and I would add something to that maybe from the teacher perspective. I think it's the teacher, but it's also the match between the teaching style and the learning style, right? So the person that's the best teacher for you might be very different than the teacher that's the best person for somebody else. So I definitely think comparing notes with your friends about what teachers you like, but also why, can be really important. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think what I try to do in those situations is talk to the professor and like get other ways I can learn. So maybe I'm more visual. I'm a more of a visual learner. So I ask for prof my professor to give me more, you know, pro like something that I can visualize better and not just give me a PowerPoint and say, hey, read that and good luck. Like I need more in depth, not like, you know discussions to actually grasp the concept. So I think having communication is something important. And I know a lot of professors don't do this, but maybe like midway through the, uh, to your term, ask like what's going well. And I think you did that. And uh, you asked us like uh, for your you know opinion. And I think that a lot of teachers don't do that. Yeah. Well, a lot of teachers, yeah. It's nerve wracking, right? You know, <laughs> <laughs> if people don't like I, your class, you don't necessarily want to hear it maybe. So... Um, and uh, what would be um, something that you wish you did differently throughout your um, college experience? Um, what would I do differently? Um, I, I, I probably would have paid more attention in those introductory classes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to admit it, but um, like I was saying before, really focusing in those big lecture classes, I really struggled with that. And then once I got to the advanced classes, my life was a lot harder because I didn't have as good of an understanding as I should have of the introductory. So if I could do things differently, I think I would go back and pay a little bit more attention then. Um, I would definitely agree <laughs> to that. Um, I was literally talking to Cal about this um, because for me, my intro-level courses were during COVID. 
Um, and we know how COVID <laughs> was. So it was me just zooming into classes and not really paying attention. And now when I take up higher level courses, I'm like, oh, I wish I paid more attention in class. And, you know, I wish I understood this better. But uh, I think that's a really good uh, lesson for people who are going to be um, listening to this podcast. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to ask, so why did you choose, um, you know, the, the industry that you went into right out of college? Where Because I think that's very different from finance and, you know, consulting and litigation is, is very unique. And the switch of you know, switching into finance and then um, getting a PhD in that, I wanted to know more so about, you know, your career decisions and how they were made. Yeah, absolutely. So, like I said, I was a double major, economics and public policy. And public policy involves a lot of economics, but also has a lot of quantitative aspects to it. And also a lot of, I guess what I would call real world applications, like we would be given problems, you know, so given this set of um, you know, kind of basic quantitative information, what would you do? And they were very real world problems. And I really enjoyed that. And so whereas a lot of my econ classes were more on the theoretical side. And so when I was looking for a job, I was looking for something that I could kind of see the know, the outcomes of what I was doing a little bit more um, more quickly. So what was really fun about the litigation consulting is you would use these basic economic ideas that we had learned in class, but then you'd be applying them to companies that were being sued for different things. And you were trying to calculate damages and sort of figure out what the costs and benefits were to consumers and to companies. And it was very much a mix of that theory of economics, but also, you know, problem solving. And I really like that combination. I found it interesting. Yeah, I, mean, I feel like that pairs really well with the two double major you did. I feel like that goes hand in hand. So what was the reasoning for, or not reasoning, but like, what was your decision to, you know, go, you know, stop your career more so and then go back to school? How did that, you know, come out, come about? Right. So, you know, like I said, one of the things I really liked about consulting was uh, sort of this combination of different ideas and how you use them. I also really enjoyed the variety of things we worked on. I mean, we worked on one case on baseball teams. We worked on another case on drill bits. We worked on another case on diapers. Like you were always learning about these wildly different industries and it was fascinating. But what I didn't like about it was the complete lack of control that you had over your schedule. So an attorney would call at 5 p.m. and say, hey, I need this ASAP. And you're uh, you know, <laughs> not really what I was planning to do at five o'clock on a Friday night. Um, and so I started trying to think of what career path I wanted that would have the advantages of both, you know, being able to learn about a lot of different things, but also that I would have more control over my schedule and what I did. And so um, the firm that I worked for all of the partners had their PhDs in economics. And so I started talking to the partners about sort of that career path and what that meant. And I started getting interested in possibly pursuing academics, but I wasn't sure about economics. Um, there was one guy at the firm who had his MBA. And so he started talking to me about, well, maybe instead of econ, you should think about finance because you seem so interested in sort of you keep talking about these real world applications. And so, you know, finance is just a little bit more direct to that way. Economics very much is 
Um, but just for the particular things I was interested in, finance was a little bit better of a fit. And so that's what led me to apply for finance PhD programs. That's awesome because it, it makes a lot of sense now because you really enjoyed the learning aspect of your consulting role. And I feel like when you're doing research for a PhD and like your thesis, I think that that's clear. You Did you really enjoy that aspect of uh, your PhD program? I have to say I was fairly uninformed when I started a PhD program, if I'm going to be okay. completely <laughs> honest. Um, you know, I was applying for a PhD program back in 1995 and getting information on things is just a lot harder then. It was, you know, PhD programs in business are extremely small. You can't go to Barnes & Noble and buy a book of what's actually involved. You couldn't look on the Internet at that time to get any information. So. I feel like a lot of luck is involved. I feel like I really stumbled into something that um, in some ways, yeah, it was deliberate, but in other ways I really lucked out and ended up with something I like quite a bit. I think that's a really good segue um, into the next question. Um, so once you started your career as a professor, what really got you, you know, interested in fintech and have this one class that's, you know, only offered once a year throughout <laughs> the term. Um, so, yeah, I guess, can you just like start by explaining a little bit about fintech and then what got you into that field? Sure. So let me, if it's okay with you, reverse that a little bit, because I think it'll be a little bit easier to explain. So when I started my, uh, both in my PhD and my early years of professor, uh, my dissertation, all my research was on very young companies. So a lot of research on companies just going public in IPOs or the earlier years of their IPO, et cetera. So I've always been interested in young companies. And for uh, most of my career in terms of teaching, I've taught basically advanced corporate finance. So, you know, IPOs, mergers and acquisitions, uh, capital budgeting, like what investments should companies take, corporate governance, who should be on the board of directors, all this kind of thing. I'd been teaching that for a long time and more and more what these sort of young companies were, their businesses were relating to was something called fintech that I knew nothing about. And so at some point, I started getting bored with teaching the same thing for so many years. And I really wanted to learn more about fintech. I was reading more about it. I was starting to learn more about it. And so I went to my department chair and I said, hey, a lot of, not a lot actually at that point, several of the very top schools are offering these new class called fintech. I think we should offer it at Drexel and I want to teach it. And he said, you're volunteering to teach a new class that you know like, not that much about? And I said, yeah, but like, I'm, I'm learning about it. I really want to learn more. And so anyway, that's how it started. And that's how I ended up teaching FinTech. Why or why is it only taught once a year? That's the one question that I feel like. And also, why is it just one one class? Because I have so many people that I, when I tell them I'm, in, I'm taking class, I'm taking fintech, they're like, oh, I wanted to take that class, but it was filled. Yeah. I've heard that so many times. I feel like this this class is so, there's so many individuals at Drexel that are interested in this class. And I feel like it's a shame that it's only offered one. Okay, so. hold on. Good news. So <laughs> um, first of all, I'm going to be teaching two sections of it next year instead of just one. <laughs> My sections will be both in the spring, but somebody else is going to be teaching it in either fall or winter. I'm not sure. Um, so 
A slightly longer answer to your question is it takes a lot to get a new class on the books and make sure that it's sort of satisfying all the relevant criteria. So you don't want to sort of start like a whole lot of sections of a class when it's first being offered. But it's been offered enough years now that we're ready to push it out further. We realize there's a lot of demand and we are planning to fulfill it next year. For the for the individuals who don't know what fintech is, can you just pitch the class to them? Because you have more sections, so you're going to need more students joining up and signing up for them. So let them know what it is. Absolutely. So uh, we all know what finance is. We all know what technology is. Fintech is just combining the two. Technology is getting more and more in every part of our life. And that involves finance also. So it involves how companies raise capital. So you all are familiar with going out and you know, issuing bonds or going to the bank, but are you familiar with peer-to-peer -peer lending? That's uh, included in fintech. Uh, you're familiar maybe with uh, raising equity on the stock market, going public in an IPO, but are you familiar with crowdfunding? That's a new way for young companies to go public. Uh, you're familiar with companies that do business by manufacturing items, um, by keeping their data in Excel spreadsheets, but are you familiar with companies whose business in, uh, operates entirely on the blockchain? That's fintech also. So all of these are fintech. A lot of other things are fintech as well. Um, for anybody following the news recently, you've seen stable coins who are supposed to be priced at a dollar that are no longer a dollar. So things are always changing in fintech and the class never exactly goes according to plan because so many things happen during the quarter that we have to pivot and talk about what's going on right now. So I don't know exactly what we'll be doing next year because it depends what happens over the following 365 days, but that gives you a broad idea. Awesome. Let's get a little personal with you and let's, you know, hear more about who you are as a person and some of your, you know, one thing I do want to learn that we don't learn in class about you is what are your, you know, pastime? What do you do in your, when, you, when you're not teaching and not being a professor and not in Lebo all day long that you usually are? What do you do afterwards and what are some of your hobbies? Uh, what are some of my hobbies? Uh, well, I just ran Broad Street Run, so I was pretty proud of myself for that. Oh, awesome. So Congrats. thank you. So I do enjoy running. I like to play tennis a lot. Um... I've recently become involved in this crazy sport called pickleball, which I don't know if anybody knows about, but it's ridiculously named, so it's really embarrassing to admit you even play, but <laughs> it's actually a lot of fun, so we have a bunch of friends that play that together, so... Um, I have a dog that I like a lot, and so I take my dog for long walks. I like to read. I love to watch movies. I like to hang out with my friends, probably like you guys, you know, like probably some of my favorite things to do are just get together with my good friends and hang wow. out. Wow. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about pickleball? Because I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so pickleball is like a cross between ping pong, tennis, and you play it with a wiffle ball. So you play it on like, okay, so think about a tennis court. Divide the tennis court in four, okay? So a pickleball court is about a quarter the size of a tennis court. There's a net that is a little bit lower than a tennis net. You play with a paddle that looks very much like a ping pong paddle, but it's a little bit larger. And you play with a ball that is effectively a wiffle ball. 
and it's doubles. So you have two people on each team and it's a really fast game and it's a net game and it's completely ridiculous. But like I say, it's a lot of fun. Wow. So I'm definitely <laughs> adding that to my Adding that to my list of sports you I should, want to try should, for sure. That seems very interesting. You should totally try it. It's, it's quite the new craze. Um, if you could, you know, grow up in any decade, which one would you choose? Would it be the TikTok era? Or... Oh, no. Definitely <laughs> oh, no. not the TikTok era. God. <laughs> um, I'm not one for the TikTok era. Gosh, I don't know. I'm a big fan of the 80s, so I might have to stick with the era I grew up in. The 80s music, 80s movies. I feel like the 80s has a lot to say for it. You might disagree, but I'm going gonna to hold true to the 80s. Yeah, I'm not very much so fond about the being in the TikTok era, so I think, I think I'll give you... Absolutely <laughs> would not want to grow up in the TikTok era. That's a very easy answer. But, um, but I think I, I want to ask you a question about something that students might be interested in if you have some sort of, you know, hidden talent or something that you, you know, that people might not know about you that, you know, you can let, you know, let us know I now. I know. I already claim to be a star pickleball player. Like, do I need to? Uh... <laughs> I think you revealed a lot about already. I already feel like everybody will be discounting me, you know, just for that. So I don't feel like I should uh, dig my grave any See, further. See, don't knock it. Don't knock it till you try yeah, it. So that's you know, right. if you, you I, I want to try it, and then, then I'll come, I'll come back probably like week nine and let you know how why it do, was. Why don't you wait till week eleven or so? <laughs> that's that's awesome. Well, I want to know something. You know, you have a daughter, you have you have family. I want to know what what do you cook at home that you your family would say is per- perfect and is perfection. And if you can, can you disclose the <laughs> recipe? Gosh, I'm not a very good cook, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, that is definitely not one of my hidden talents. I am pretty much a vegetarian, so I do a lot of uh, grilled vegetables. Um, that's sort of a favorite, different combinations of chickpeas and tofu and vegetables. I like cooking with a lot of spices. I was uh, recently in France and with got a lot. We were in Marseille, where there's a very active North African community. And so just tons of spices that are just so different. And so I bought a lot and brought them all home. And so we've had a lot of fun cooking all the vegetables with all the different spices and just kind of uh, different flavors to try. I find that a lot of fun. That's awesome. When, 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 when did you travel to France? Um, right before the quarter started. Uh, and number of years ago, I lived in France. And so we try to go back fairly regularly. So it, of course, with COVID was not able to for quite a while. But uh, so it was the first time that I'd been back since COVID. So that was really nice. Were, were you living there for pleasure? Or were you working there? Uh, both, I guess. Um, it, anytime oh, I awesome. go to France, I feel like pleasure is involved. So I wouldn't say it was just work. But I was on sabbatical there. I taught at INSEAD, which is a business school outside of Paris. Do you still have home in France or do you just go for Um, I have some distant family that live there. And so we try to visit them every so once in a while. Um, and then we have a lot of friends that are still there that we try to keep in touch with. I know you, you're wanting to be from the 80s era, like the era that you're from. What are, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe one song that you know all the lyrics to? Is it... Uh, you know, a recent pop song or maybe from back in the 80s? Oh, my gosh. Um, 
So I'm a very big Bruce Springsteen fan. That is by far my favorite. I actually recently saw him on Broadway, and that was a, a highlight. So I'm guessing you guys are not Bruce Springsteen fans, but uh, he has this... Uh, He's doing this sort of solo production on Broadway, and we went and saw it, and it was amazing. So that's uh, some of my, uh, that's not typical 80s music, but if there's one artist, it would probably be Bruce. And, um, that sounds heavenly. Awesome. Well, uh, my, my last question is, I wanted to ask you about, you know, what is one of your proudest, or it can just be your fondest accomplishments that, that you had over your career or over your, you know, yeah, either as an educator or even before when you were doing, you know, in, in, in school? Um, well, actually, just this week, I won a prize. It's called the Jensen Prize for the best paper in corporate finance published in one of the top three finance journals, which is the Journal of Financial Economics. So I have to say this is pretty much a pretty much a highlight of my career um and that just happened uh, on monday so that is something i'm quite proud of it was quite a surprise and obviously a good one so on the research front i think that is uh certainly what comes to mind because it just happened uh on the teaching front i uh, adore teaching the fintech class i love teaching you guys i love uh, learning from you guys because you know you know other things that are happening every day after class somebody's coming up to me and telling me you know wow you were talking about this today and I just saw this and can I send this to you and like we get in a conversation about it and that's so much fun I really like teaching that class so on the teaching front I think that's the highlight wow for sure okay. and congratulations thank you I think what a positive um, note to end the podcast on. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for your time. It was amazing um, getting to know you once again. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, and thank you so much, Cal, for being here. Yeah, no problem. Thank you both. Thank you both. This was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. This has been LeBeau Students Talk Leadership, a podcast from the Dean's Student Advisory Board of Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business. Opinions expressed are awesome, but may not reflect the views of the college or university. Thanks for listening and join us again for our next episode.